So what Jesus would tend to do is that he would put his followers in a really awkward and a really difficult situation and then encourage them to figure it out. And we know from the historical record that often they didn't. Uh, And I think it would have been a really, really tough gig being a follower of Jesus in the first century. So you think about it, if you've ever had um, a boss or, or a teacher or a mentor who, who has been particularly hard on you, kind of like quite sort of forceful on you, and often you find that you're just bombing out on the tasks or you just flat out fail in what they want you to do. That's what it was often like for Jesus' disciples, his close followers. And, and what surprises me is that they didn't see that coming. So at the very beginning, Jesus chose 12 disciples and he invited them, he called them to follow me. And then in one of the the next lines we read, this is what he said, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. Now, now here's the irony, is that this invitation came after an evening when these fishermen had completely failed to catch any fish. (laughs) And so they weren't that good at catching fish. And then Jesus turns up with this oversized assumption that they're going to be really influential. They're going to be connecting and encouraging people into the future. And so Jesus has these sort of oversized assumptions when it comes to his followers. He did that on another occasion. He tells his followers to row a short distance across Lake Galilee, round about sort of three kilometers. And he's going to meet them on the other side. And in the middle of that, this huge storm whips up and they freak out. And then Jesus comes to the rescue of them in the middle of of the lake. Now, if you know the story, you know that these guys are highly skilled, very practical men. They're fishermen. They've rowed across that lake hundreds of times before, and on this occasion, they can't do it. And then not long after this, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Now, I can imagine Jesus' disciples hearing him say that and then just quietly chuckling or scoffing or maybe even rolling their eyes like, what? We're going to do greater things than Jesus. Well, we couldn't even row a boat across a lake, you know? How can we do anything greater than that? But this is Jesus pushing his followers, he's creating tension, he's trying to teach them a lesson that ultimately they can trust in him. And so one of the best examples is, of this is, is a story that you're probably familiar with. Jody shared us kind of the, the outline of the story this morning. It's recorded actually in all four of, biograph- of the biographies of Jesus, the only story to be recorded by all four of his biographers. And it's famously known as the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to track through the um, account as recorded by Matthew, Matthew chapter 14. So if you've got a Bible, you're welcome to open it or swipe there or or whatever. But we're going to pick up the story when Jesus is is busy teaching and healing the sick. And there is crowds of people, according to the account, maybe 5,000 men and arguably at least more possibly equal amounts of women and children. So we're talking a lot of people, you know, twice the population of Alexandra. And so Jesus is there, and he's busy teaching this huge crowd. And, and what, what we tend to do is when we, we read 
through the stories of Jesus as recorded in the Bible, we kind of, we kind of skim through them quite quickly because the ideas are, are condensed. You know, his biographers, they compressed the action. But in the first century, these actual events took a lot longer than the few lines that we read on the page. So on this occasion, Jesus has been teaching all day. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a workshop or a seminar or a conference. Anybody been to any of those before in their lifetime? Okay, that's good, yeah? And you'll know that if those workshops or those seminars or those conferences don't schedule coffee breaks or lunch breaks or bathroom breaks, then people will get very, very annoyed, right? You, you need that time. You need that chance. Go and have a breather. Go and stretch your legs. Get recharged. Get refreshed. And maybe we should do that in church. Okay, Craig's been talking for 10 minutes. All right, time for a coffee break, everybody. I don't know. It's very unlikely that Jesus scheduled coffee breaks <clears throat> or a lunch buffet in the middle of his teaching. He just went for it, and the crowds were just flocking to listen to, and to learn and, and to see miracles happen. And so on this occasion, they're soaking it up all day, and the day is drawing to a close, and Jesus' disciples are getting worried. You know, they're out in a remote area, miles away from takeaway shops, miles away from restaurants, and the disciples are concerned about how they're going to manage this crowd. And so these people, they've been sitting in the hot Middle Eastern sun all day, no coffee break, and probably some of them are wondering, actually, why doesn't Jesus sort it out, you know? He's the one who's proved that he's got the supernatural power. He's the one who should do something to help the people, shouldn't he? What's interesting is that if you read all of Matthew chapter 14, you'll see immediately before this event, Jesus has just found out that his friend, John the Baptist, has been killed. And so uh, the first part of the chapter, we find that Herod, the guy who's the ruler of the region, he throws this big party, and here it gets really drunk, and he tries to impress all these powerful people at the party. So he promises his stepdaughter that she could have anything she wants. And he's kind of thinking, you know, she'll want the new iPhone or, or a car or something. But instead, under the influence of her mother, she asks for the head of John the Baptist on a plate. And so, so to save face, Herod has to oblige, and, and John is sadly executed. And so Jesus finds out about this tragedy, and he does what anyone would do. He tries to get away from the crowds. He tries to escape the public eye so that he could mourn the loss of his friend. When Jesus heard what had happened to John, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. And according to other accounts, he took the disciples with him. And again, maybe these guys, as they're pulling on the oars of this boat, they're wondering why didn't Jesus do anything to save John? Because they'd been tracking with Jesus for months. They'd seen him turn water into wine. They'd seen him heal strangers. They'd even seen him raise a boy from the dead. Surely he could have done something to rescue John from his imprisonment and saved his life. But Jesus... He didn't. He didn't, didn't do anything. He didn't lift a finger to help his friend. Maybe you've been in that place. Maybe you are in that place where, where you've wondered why it seems like God is not doing anything. You know, it's that wayward child or that obstinate parent or 
or that demanding boss, or that rude workmate, or that, or that bully at school. I just want to remind you that that disappointment with God is nothing new. You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus' closest friends and his followers, they were disappointed with him. They were confused why he, why he did some things and didn't do other things. I certainly encourage you this morning that sometimes God doesn't make sense. God's response or his lack of response to what we want doesn't always mesh with what we think is best. And, and I can't answer why God does or does not do the things that we want. But I do know that his perspective is bigger and broader than anything I could ever see. It doesn't make it easier though, right? You know, when times are tough, I just want to encourage you to hang in there. And we heard a faith story of the De Beer family, Dandy, Dewalt, Ulandi, and how they tracked with God through the highs and the lows, and how he kind of, you know, was with them the whole way. So if you haven't, if you weren't here last Sunday, if you haven't tuned in, listen, it's on our website. But getting back to our story, look what happens next. Jesus is trying to escape. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed those who were ill. Do you not find that amazing? Jesus is grappling with his own grief and yet he is still aware of the needs of others. You know, that was not reciprocated. The crowds were not aware of Jesus' need for privacy. They've been tracking around the side of the lake, following him, pursuing him, hounding him. And Mark actually records <clears throat> on this, his version of the story that Jesus looked at the crowds and he saw they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he begins teaching and healing them. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. So Jesus' disciples come to him and they ask him to do something. And in return, Jesus asks them to do something. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And this is the moment, this is the big moment, this is the, the tension that Jesus is building where he invites his followers to be part of the solution. And, you know, you've got to give credit to the disciples. <clears throat> so they sort of, they must have huddled up. They started scratching their heads, you know, like, okay, what have we got? What are we going to do here? I mean, this is a huge, huge crowd full of hungry people. Uh, this is a big problem. How, how are we going to solve this? And so, according to the record, uh, all four biographers, but particularly John, he identifies that Andrew, one of the, one of the uh, followers of Jesus, kind of finds out that there's a kid in the crowd with a lunchbox. And in that lunchbox, the kid has five loaves of bread and two fish. Probably not canned salmon, but you know. I didn't want to bring real fish into here because you'd probably freak out. So there's five loaves and two fish. Now, the disciples, they know that's, that's not much, okay, for 5,000 plus six, seven, 8,000 people. But surely, surely it's something. And so Jesus' response to this is... Is amazing. Actually, 
before I tell you what it was, I need to preface this by saying Jesus' response is how big problems are solved. If you've got a problem in your marriage or with a friend, if you've got a problem at work or at school or with your neighbor or in your town or in your country, this, this is how it's solved. Jesus said, bring them here to me. Jesus looks at his 12 disciples. Maybe he smiles at the boy. He sees these five loaves of bread and two fish, and he says, bring them to me. And I think that invitation extends to all of us because there comes a point where, where we stand before Jesus with our bread and our fish. Now, some of you have more bread than fish. Some of you have more fish than bread. We have different resources, different skills, different capacities, different abilities, but the reality is we all have breaking the loaves into pieces. He gave the bread to the disciples. Now what? If, if you know the story, you know what happens next. Breaking the, bread and, breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who gave it to the people. See, this is, this is kind of the crux of it. Jesus' followers did what they knew how to do. And they trusted that Jesus knew what he was doing. They, they literally walked by faith. They walked into the crowd with these broken pieces of bread, holding on to the hope that Jesus would come through. And that is exactly what real faith is. It is feeling that nudge to step up and to step out, to be willing to do what you can do, and trusting that God will do what only He can do. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach His disciples, to, to step up and to step out into faith. So He sends them out in this huge crowd with just a few handfuls of bread. And they're probably desperately hoping that they're not going to look like total fools. you know. But the disciples did it. They stepped up and they stepped out. And when they did that, something absolutely amazing happened. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day, in addition to all the women and children. Now, that is a miracle, right? Thousands of hungry people can eat and be satisfied. They experienced the goodness and the generosity of God in such an abundance that there was food to spare. You know, I think there's a, a lesson in the leftovers. God uses whatever we are willing to bring, whether it's our time, our energy, our talents, our money, and He multiplies that effect far more than we could ever imagine. But we have to get to the point where we step up and we step out in faith. So my question for you is, where are you at? Is there a, a big problem looming on the horizon for you that is just impossible to solve? Is there an opportunity where you're feeling a nudge towards something, but it's kind of freaking you out a bit? Is there some sort of situation that is just breaking your heart and you need to do something, even, you, even though you know it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done? Maybe you've got uncertainty around launching a new business. Maybe, maybe 
you're struggling to start a family or, or you have the opportunity to foster a child. Maybe it's that callback from the doctor saying you need to do some further tests. Maybe there's tension in a relationship or, or questions around your future direction or financial stress or loneliness or anxiety or insecurity. Maybe you're unsure about whether you should join a service team or a ministry team or get part of a home group here at ABC. But where, where, wherever it is, chances are you're going to have to step up and step out in faith. To do what you can do and to trust that God will do what only He, he can do. Because that's real faith. That is what walking by faith is. Do you know, after Jesus fed the 5,000, he did something else quite interesting. After he miraculously fed all those people, and after the disciples had collected up these baskets of leftovers, he tells his followers to get in a boat and row across the lake and head home. And he's going to disperse the crowd and meet them there. And Jesus' plan was that his disciples would remember the lesson that they have just witnessed. Remember that he has miraculously provided for the needs of the people. Well, the disciples miss that memo. They get in the boat, they row across, a fierce storm whips up across the lake, and these experienced fishermen forget about Jesus' power, and they freak out that they are stuck in a storm. And so Jesus appears in the middle of the lake to rescue them, walking on water. And then this just causes them to freak out even more. But it's only Peter who connects the dots. And he climbs out of the boat, and he fixes his eyes on Jesus, and he starts walking across the waves. And when he takes his eyes off Jesus, he starts to sink. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And I just want to encourage you in the midst of the big problems that you've got going on, when it might feel like you are sinking, to fix your eyes on Jesus, to step up and to step out in faith, to do what only you can do, to bring Him what you have, and to trust Him that He will do what only He can do. That's what it means to walk by faith. That's what it means to follow Him. Let's pray together. God, we just want to acknowledge your goodness and generosity in our lives. We're thankful that you've got everything under control. In the midst of the dilemmas or the difficulties or the decisions that we're facing, help us have faith. Help us trust that you've got that sorted. And help us step up and step out. So when those waves are crashing, the storm's raging, the problems seem too big, or the task seems impossible, we just ask you would give us the strength to do what we can do and trust you to do what only you can do.